Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 10. <clears throat> Matthew 10. Matthew 10. We've been in Luke the last couple uh, weeks. We're going to move to Matthew today. Uh, however, this story is kind of uh, echoes something that we talked about uh, last week as well. We talked about what it looked like to be empty and to be filled by God and what that uh, is to us and what that means and what that uh, looks like last week. Um, and, and as I thought about it and as we rehashed the thing, kind of debriefed last week's message, I thought even more about it and, and thought, you know, there's, there's really these kind of two different ideas of being empty that we were talking about. To be negatively empty is to be without joy and without peace and without purpose, without hope. But to be positively empty is to be emptied of yourself, to release the baggage that can dominate our lives. And so there's a definite two kind of different empties going on there. And we want to talk more about today about the releasing the baggage of our lives. Um, As Jesus in Matthew 10 sends out the disciples, he tells them to leave everything behind. And he's basically saying, you have to leave all your stuff, all your things, all the things that you depend on behind. Leave your bags, leave your coins, leave your coat, leave an extra, your extra undies, leave them all at home. It's, I'm, I'm not really making that up. Uh, it's in Matthew 10. Uh, <clears throat> there it is. And so he's, he's talking about that. And was, as I was thinking about today's message, so what does that have to do with us? And what does that have to do with our purpose? And what does that have to do with our lives? And how does that have to do with how we live? I think it has a lot to do with us because when we crave purpose or we crave what is our life supposed to be about, we easily start to depend or are affected by our baggage. Oh, well, I can't do that because this happened to me. I can't do this because that happened to me. Or I can't do this because of these reasons here. Or I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not whatever. They said mean things to me. What? I, <clears throat> I'm not trying to make light of our baggage, because everybody's got it. Everybody has stuff. And some of it's very, very serious. But how we deal with that baggage is how we deal with Christ's calling and Christ's purpose on our lives. And Jesus very clearly here says, hey, leave all that stuff so you can be who I've called you to be. I was looking, I was in Starbucks this morning, my Sunday morning routine, stop in about 7.15, get my, my Starbucks and come here. And uh, I'm kind of surprised. I've done it so often. I'm really surprised that they're like, here you go. Uh, so my goal is for them to call me by name, and uh, I'll be really excited. Except it's Sunday morning. I know they're working. I can't invite them to church, so it's a little frustrating. Uh, but anyway, uh, as I was doing that, I always will go over and peruse either the uh, Chicago Tribune or the New York Times, whatever's sitting there at the thing, because I can't pay the six bucks that the New York Times costs. So I just kind of leaf, leaf through real quick. Um, and on the, the title page, full page ad, today, this morning, um, there was this thing that said, uh, what fulfills you? And it's this huge color print. I mean, it was a huge thing. It says, the title is, shockingly, sex and money does not fulfill people. But more, and like reading the article, it was like, the more sex you have and the more money you have means usually that you're more unhappy. If you can be more unhappy, the unhappier you are. I was like, that's exactly what everybody's chasing all the time. If we're, we're totally honest, we're chasing money, we're chasing sex. 
And the study was talking about, and New York Times was shocked. They're not, you're not happier if that's all you're chasing. And I thought, well, we've known that for a long time. And so I thought that was fitting for today because we're all trying to live and we all want extraordinary lives. We all want something extra. And that's where the, the heartbeat of you know, New York Times is talking about. We all want something bigger. We all want something grander. But chasing money and chasing sex aren't necessarily going to give it to us. And see, Jesus in this moment, he takes the ordinary and makes the disciples extraordinary by giving them purpose. In your life today, we can take ordinary and make it extraordinary. And that comes from Christ giving us purpose. I want to live an extraordinary life. And too often, I, I get caught up in my ordinary life, and I wonder why it's ordinary. It's because I've left Jesus on the side. He was an add-on instead of the center of the life. And this happens all the time. I'm a pastor, and this happens all the time. Okay? I'm the, 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 the paid Christian, and that's where my life goes. So I know it's something we struggle with all the time. It's something we always have to bring our, our, our head back to. Well, who am I depending on? Am I depending on my own talents? Or am I depending on Jesus? Today we want to look at the calling of the disciples. And this is Matthew's account of the disciples. So a couple of the guys' names are different. That's because Matthew was writing to a primarily Jewish audience. And so he used Jewish names for these things. The two that might stick out to you are Thaddeus, which is the same as Thomas, and uh, Bartholomew, which is the same as Nathaniel. And you're going, how did you get Bartholomew and Nathaniel? It's just the way it worked. Like Simon goes by Peter. You know, Saul goes by Paul. It's, it's just this kind of thing. So I always messed me up. I was reading these, the, the, the 12 disciples. And I'm like, what? Are there 16 disciples? Are there 14? Why are they all these different names? They, the scholars believe that these were um, the, the Greek and the Aramaic. You have three languages going on there. And so their names are different in each one of those, right? So you have the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic names. Uh, four, if that helps you understand what's going on there. Verse 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. This is his way of taking ordinary to extraordinary. He does two things there. He calls them and he gives them authority. He calls them, and he gives them authority in our lives, in the way that we are wired today. A lot of us in America have authority issues. Like our whole nation is founded on authority issues, is it not? And so we were like, oh, well, you know, if we didn't vote for the president that's there, or even if we did vote for the president who's in power, we're like, I don't like him. It could be the greatest president ever, and we're still like, I don't like him. Why? Because he's an authority over us. That's why, you know, we all have a different thing uh, feeling when we see a police car. I've I, I, not broken very many uh, laws in my life. I see a police car, I'm like, <laughs> it's like those things I did when I was 16 are not going to come back. Statue of limitations has probably run up, right? <laughs> so, you know, I didn't kill anybody, but I still am like all of a sudden guilty. And I don't know why, but I am. I have an authority you know, issue there. And I'm like, ah, and we, we do that. But what Jesus does to, all, to these guys these guys who are at the lowest rung of society is he does two things. He calls them. He says, hey, you, you're important. Come here. And in the, in the cry of our hearts, 
when we're living ordinary lives, isn't one of the most important things that someone notices us and says, hey, you, you're important, come here. And so this is the first thing Jesus does to ordinary stinky fishermen, to tax collectors. Remember, tax collectors are basically mafia dons. Okay? Can you imagine walking up to Al Capone and be like, hey, come here, you're going to be a disciple. And he does. This is what's going on there. He walks up to Simon the Zealot, which is Simon the terrorist. He walks up to a member of Al-Qaeda and says, hey, you're going to be a fisherman now. I'm going to build my kingdom of God around you. You think you got issues. These are the people he chooses. And so he calls them and says, hey, hey, you. You're living this kind of life, but I got something better for you. And the second thing he does is, if you haven't noticed it yet, he gives authority. He says, I'm calling you, you have what it takes, and I'm going to give you the authority to live it out. This is huge. But that is the basis in which the, the rest of the disciples, from that point on, start to try to live their lives. Now, they screw up and they mess up. This is kind of the primer. This is the, uh, the kindergarten, if you will, before the Holy Spirit um, is given to them, and they have this power all the time. But this is just a moment where, like, this is Jesus giving the disciples training wheels. Okay? All right, guys, go out and do it. Now come back at the end of the day. But he, he's doing that, and he's giving them just a taste of who they're going to be and what they are capable of. He's giving them a taste of the extraordinary. Now, these guys all have issues. They all have stuff. They all have things. And we're going to listen to the... Um, these are their names, and then we're going to listen to kind of some of the stuff, how they ended up. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, which is, um, yeah, the youngest one. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and uh, Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The 12... The twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go out among the Gentiles or any town in Samaria of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, and freely give. He calls these guys together to say, all right, here you go. I've given you authority to go do this stuff. Now here's the guys that we have uh, gotten to know. Peter... He is going to be one of the cornerstones of uh, the ministry after, after Jesus is uh, ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes. He has come kind of, uh, we've talked about at length his fallings outs and his restoration. But Peter is going to be going all over uh, the Roman Empire and ends up probably in Rome where he is killed. So he goes all over the place. Israel and Rome, two totally different places. These are hundreds and hundreds of miles apart from each other. And he's sent out on mission to do that. And he starts the basis in which the church goes out from Jerusalem. Andrew, his brother, he goes to a place called the Land of the Man-Eaters, which is, uh, which is now the Soviet, or now the, um, Russia. We can make political statements all we want, but we don't need to. Uh, he's in the Turkey area and goes on up around there. And he... Um, is said to have been um, crucified as well. Uh, Thomas is gone to Syria, and then he went uh, out to India. And then hundreds of years later, 
almost, well, thousands of years later, is when the British basically showed up in, uh, in India and started meeting people, they found these collectives of Christians in the middle of uh, India. And they're like, How, what, no, what, what's going on here? And they're probably spiritual descendants of Thomas, which is really interesting because they did not grow up you know, ever knowing the Roman uh, Catholic Church, not knowing really the Byzantine a church, not knowing any of that, they just were straight fruit of Thomas's ministry thousands of years ago. It's very, very interesting stuff. Um, so Thomas, the one we call the doubter, becomes this huge missionary uh, way far away in the world. Philip probably went to Carthage in North Africa, uh, and Matthew, the tax collector, went to Ethiopia. He was said to have been uh, stabbed to death there. Bartholomew, went to Ethiopia or um, Saudi Arabia area. James uh, went to Syria. Simon the Zealot went to um, Persia, now Iran. Um, Matthias, who was chosen to replace Judas, uh, went along with Andrew and uh, was, was burned to death. Tough stuff for him. And John was uh, imprisoned after many years uh, of preaching and teaching on the Isle of Patmos. And so you have this, uh, these guys, their deaths, you know, are made a lot of, and all the guys basically died except for John. But that's not really the point yet today. The point is that they dispersed, that they went all over, that they followed this calling. This guy, these guys of ordinary stuff, these tax collectors, these disciples, these people who just were, these fishermen, these everyday kind of guys, they started to tap into that extraordinary kind of life and went all over the world and changed things. These, these guys that came from know-nothing families, they didn't come from money, they didn't come from talent, they didn't come from, you know, the, no silver spoons were passed out here. They were the ones that changed the world. What is the advice that Christ gives to them? He says, hey, don't take anything with you. It says, do not get, get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town and village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay in their house until you leave. As you enter their home, give them a greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town. Shake the dust off your feet. And truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for, uh, for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. They have a choice to either stay in Jerusalem or to go. They have a choice. Remember when after Jesus is crucified and the sins, they have this this time where they get to choose. What are you going to do? Are you going to stay here? Are you going to stay in the upper room type environment? Are you going to stay and pray and hope nobody finds you? Or are you going to go and do? They have a choice. They have a choice to let the baggage of all the stuff that happened to Jesus affect their life. They have a choice whether to live an ordinary life or an extraordinary life. They have a choice to leave the baggage behind. How do we live on purpose? First thing is we got to leave baggage 
behind. We have to leave these things as the disciples are told by Jesus. Leave it all here. Leave the baggage behind. I have a hard time I, with, with this one. As the, uh, the certified baggage carrier of the family, literally and, you know, emotionally, I think. This is who, who I am and who, who I get to be. And so if you, if you know that, we have this thing. And um, uh, one of the things I taught my students down in Georgia was no girl ever carried her bags. She would carry her purse, but guys, you, you carry their bags all the time. And so we'd have, the guys were really upset when the, the proportions of girls to guys went down because they're like loaded down with all this stuff on their arms and, and stuff. But that was how we, we, we taught them. We just taught them that's what you do. You surf, you surf, you surf, you surf. But you know, when we think about baggage, we think about this baggage is just weighing me down. And you kind of always do the, the waddle where you're just, because we can't make two trips as men. Right, we can't make two trips. And so we have, we have all this stuff, and you've got the, the blood pressure losing in your shoulders and the cutting in, and it's just bad. You all know what I'm talking about. We, we do this. It could be five feet. You've got to carry everything over. How do we get past that? that? Leave the baggage behind. Is that stuff really that important? Now, I can have a firm discussion with you ladies about what you choose to pack. That's a whole nother message for a whole nother day. One for when my wife will be here. Uh, You got to leave the baggage behind. Have you ever watched The Amazing Race? You ever watch this show? They um, basically they go all around the world and they have one backpack uh, with their stuff, and it's a couple or um, father and son. It's just two people on a team, and they're doing all these crazy things. At the end of the day, they win like a million bucks if they are the ones that, that go around. When they're close to the goal, they throw those bags off. They don't care what's in it. Mom's prized possessions could be in there. Heirlooms could be in there. It's a million dollars. There is the prize right there. The bag is coming off. The baggage is left. It doesn't matter anymore. I got to be lighter. I got to be faster. I got to be more effective in getting to wherever I'm going. Because some of those races, I mean, it's a foot race. They're running down the thing. I don't know if it's edited. I don't know if somebody's holding them and wait, 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 wait. You know, I don't know. It's TV, so who cares? But the idea is they throw it all off. And I I wonder if I'm going to be effective in this race of life. I'm going to have an extraordinary life. What are the things that are holding me down and weighing me down that I need to throw off? Those things that were said to me, those things that I'm dealing with, those things I've been holding on to since I was five. What is it that I need to leave the baggage behind? How do I leave my baggage, you might ask? Jared, you don't know the stuff that I've gone through. I understand. I think living in your purpose is the key to leaving baggage. Philippians 3 Verse 13 and 14 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize from which God has called me heavenly, heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's that thinking, of the same thing of the amazing grace, is what is ahead of me is better than the stuff that can hold me back. The stuff that God has for us, the stuff that God has for you, the plans that he has for you, the people he has for you to affect are better 
than your junk. When we let our baggage dictate us, it's saying, those bad things in my past are more important than the great things God can have for me in my future. And that's hard. But if you really look at it, that's what it's saying. You're choosing bad stuff over the great stuff that God can have for you. You've got to drop it. And here's the neat thing about baggage. I think baggage can be reclaimed. Everyone's purpose is different because your baggage is different. Romans 12, 4 through 8 says, For each, just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ Jesus, though many form one body, for each member belongs to all others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What it's saying is everybody's different. Everybody can fit into this body in a different way. And I I wholeheartedly think that we go through stuff in life so that we can minister to others in a more effective way. Our baggage and how we've dealt with it enables us to deal with other people's baggage. Oh, I've carried that before. This is how you drop it. I've had that before. This, This is how you deal with that. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Baggage can be made useful again. See, this, this old thing here, we saw this at a garage sale and thought it was really cool. This sits in my living room. Believe it or not, it goes really well with our paint scheme. I know you guys are like, Jared, you're scaring me. Um, But this is about a 100-year-old trunk. It came over about 1920 from Denmark. And on here, there's still a steamer trunk sticker that says you can just make out America on it. This is not in my family. We found it in a garage sale over in Shorewood. And uh, the guy was, was holding electrical parts in it. And I said, how much for the trunk? He's like, what? How much for the trunk? He's like, make me an offer. 20 bucks. He quickly dumps out the electrical parts that are in it. Here you go. Give me the money. He says, my family's going to be so mad. This was the only thing left from great-grandpa or whatever when he came over from Denmark. He's like, oh, okay. Thank you for the cool conversation piece when I... Uh... But this was just useful, useless stuff. He was sitting there in his garage for the last 20 years collecting dust and junk. Now I get to reclaim it. I get to have a fun story piece in my, in my living room. The baggage can be reclaimed, and sometimes we just need to start looking at things in different ways. A few years ago, would I have wanted this in my house? Absolutely not. For us, we look at our baggage, and we look at our luggage, and we say, how, how does that work, and how does that look like, and Is it broken, or do I need to throw it away, or can it be reused? Maybe it needs to be reused in a different, totally different way. As, as trash, this is kept out in the garage to collect dust. 
But now as a point of victory, as a point of excitement, it's put in a place of promise and, and in my stinking living room. Everybody in the house gets to see this thing. That guy would be like, what is going on? It's because I've taken it and reused it, give it a different kind of purpose. As we think of our baggage, do we let it just drag us down or do we give it a new purpose and say, how is this going to work out? God promises us that all things can be worked out for his good. That Romans 8.28 is not a joke. It's real. It's, as I was thinking this week, I was thinking of a fishing lure. I'm going to have pictures of them back here. But I was thinking of fishing lures as that we all go through stuff and we all go through things and we all go through, through times in our, in our lives that are hard and are rough and are, are mess us up. But as I was thinking about the, the fishing lures is they're all totally different. If you spend more than like three seconds in a fishing shop, you can see row after row of different kinds of worms, different colors of worms. I went into a, a mom-and-pop little fishing shop as big as this platform this weekend. There was probably 300 different kinds of plastic worms. I, I don't know the purpose of this, but there's all these different worms and different colors and different tails and different, you know, watermelon seed, watermelon seedless. You know, like all these different kinds of things. There was chartreuse. Now tell me how many fishermen know the color chartreuse? Just throwing it. <laughs> Paul's like, I do. Uh, but, but there's all these different things there. But I was thinking about it. And I was talking to the owner. And I said, what are you catching? I was like, nothing, weeds. And he's like, okay. And so he gets all excited. And he, he makes me this amalgamation of like three different lures. And he starts putting things, opening packages. And I'm like, am I going to have to pay for all these things? But he's putting them all together. And he's like, this is how you do it. And this is how you fish in this spot. Because when I was there, this is what I did. And when I was in those weeds, this is what I needed to fish for. See, he took all of his, the, the, his learning curve and the things that he learned and the weeds that he'd caught and the fish that he'd caught and said, this is, this is what it is, looks like when it's bad, but guess what? This is how you do it to get out of it. Folks, I think our baggage can be turned into lures. They're used to help people and to catch people. When Jesus calls the disciples, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Our baggage, the junk that we go through, the stuff that we go into, helps us catch men and women. You've dealt with the stuff that you've dealt with so you can identify and speak life into people. Romans 8.28 says, hey, listen, I know it's bad, but I can turn this to good. I know that's messy. I know that's junky but I can turn it to good. As we deal with, you know, there's fishing poles and squiggly things and all, I mean, we, that's all my father-in-law stuff. I don't know how to use any of it, any of it. Some of those are for deep sea fishing. Some of them are for regular fishing. There's, there's fishing lures this big. I don't know. I never caught a fish that big. I don't know what I'd use a lure that big for. (laughs) But they all have different purpose. They all have a different fish. They all have a different, you know, season. They all have different weeds. They all have different colors. They all have different whatever's going on. And so to even expound on that more, you guys have gone through different things than I have. So you can speak to different people in different ways 
than I can. I've got my own junk. I've got my own baggage that I'm trying to turn into lures. You've got your own stuff. But it's the starting of making a decision. Am I going to let this baggage weigh me down and keep me from ever being effective, of being, uh, living an extraordinary life? Or am I going to turn it in another lure in my fishing box? Because making it a lure is a story of victory and a story of overcoming. Carrying around baggage is defeat. I want to have some lures in my life. Turning your baggage into tools is one of the everyday miracles that God wants to do in your life. Will you let him? I think dealing with your baggage can be the greatest step you take into living in purpose. Our baggage is probably the number one thing that keeps us from realizing who we can be. Stepping into all that God has for us. It's always the voice of doubt in our head. But this happened. And I know some of us have heavy baggage. Wouldn't it feel good just to let it go? But it's a, no. But it, I really need that hair dryer. No. Throw it off. Run the race. Press on to win the prize. This is one of the marks, and one of the great things is why I want to do baptism um, this year is because it's a mark of, hey, I'm leaving that baggage. I'm going under that water with baggage, and I'm coming up without it. I'm going to leave it in that pool. I wish there was a way to, like, change the color of the water. You know, it's just, poof, it's done. That's gone. That's off me. Baptism is about that new life. It was about that new life 2,000 years ago when John the Baptist baptized Jesus. This is the old going in and the new coming out. That's what baptism is all about. We want to do that in our lives. We don't have to wait for water. We don't have to wait for that. We can do that today, here, and now. By just saying, Jesus, I want to leave my baggage behind. I want a new life. I want, I'm tired of the ordinary life. I want to live an extraordinary life. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for today. and Thank you for this time. and Thank you for these people. God, I ask you to do work in our lives. I ask you to get rid of the baggage. I don't want to act like the stuff never happened to me. I want to learn from it. I want to turn the junk that I've gone through, the, the stress that I've had, the, uh, the events in life, the things that maybe I had no control over, I want to take them from being anchors on my body and anchors on my soul to being my greatest weapons. God, I know there's people here right now that are struggling with baggage. And God, that today would be a day that we follow after you and and leave it behind. We make the decision, we make the choices to drop it and run the race. God, that today would be a day in which we step into the victory that you have for us. God, that you would take the weight off our shoulders, that we'll leave it all behind. God, I ask for healing for our hearts, 
as we wrestle with some of these painful memories. God, I ask you for clarity and how, how we can use this for good instead of how it drags us down each day. God, we believe in your healing. We believe in your power. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.